In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When we observe our Lord going into the desert, there are some initial obvious lessons that we take from it. The importance of prayer, fasting, um, and penance. Uh, the, the battle against evil. The reality of the evil one as a person, as a fallen angel. The reality that there are many fallen angels who are constantly bent on destruction and our destruction. Be reminded of that. It's especially the case these days that the activity of evil is minimized, if not denied, not just by the faithful, but even by the shepherds. In addition to that, I encourage you to consider these three moments in which the nature of the church is expressed. At first, our Lord, after 40 days, is presented with the temptation to take bread from the rock, to feed himself. He responds by quoting scripture that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Bread will be offered to God the Father in divine worship, and the word of God will be offered with it. But these will not be taken strictly speaking, for our Lord's benefit. In this mystical exchange, our Lord, who is one of us, will offer bread and wine, will offer his body and blood to God the Father for our benefit and for the glory of God the Father. By the will of the Father, he is glorified, but he does not glorify himself. Christ is given glory when God the Father is honored and worshiped because he and the Father are one. And so, yes, the Trinity is worshiped. And yet, beautifully, our Lord leads this worship to honor the Father, not to honor himself. And in so doing, he leads us and participates in our redemption by his death. A real death, a very painful death, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. 
even done out of love, even with the consolation of our redemption and our salvation. Not even the most cynical observer could say that he does it for his, for his personal benefit. And so we continue to participate in this offering up of his body, his blood, this bread, and the word of God to the honor and glory of God the Father. for our salvation and the salvation of the world. The evil one takes him. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. He will give angels to you, he quotes scripture. who will take you by the hand so that you do not trip on a stone. Our Lord replies to the evil one quoting scripture, which should not surprise us. Someone's quoting scripture these days should probably get up our antennae. Um, We should be nervous when someone quotes scripture. At the very least, we should be eager to double-check. What are they saying? What are they quoting? What are they leaving out? Are they presenting the meaning of the Word of God? Are they distorting it? Are they turning this into something grossly foreign to the mind and the will and the heart of God? We should not be surprised, especially in this city, when people for wicked purposes, whether it be for the destruction of the unborn or for the demise of Orthodox Christianity, dare to take to their lips the word of God. The devil knows the whole Bible. Our Lord responds, do not tempt the Lord thy God. Stones, even little pebbles, our Lord will take up and form into his church. He won't throw himself down from a parapet, from a tower from which prayers are offered. Our Lord comes to take a little pebble named Simon Barjona and will make him the cornerstone of the whole church an edifice that will last forever. At which point our Lord will even guarantee the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It has been observed before from this pulpit that that might actually be a low bar that the evil one will not be able to completely destroy the church. But the church will not be destroyed by the evil one. The church will prevail against the gates of hell. God's will will be done. 
God does not send his word into the world to be ineffective. That is the word of God. No, our Lord did not come to take human institutions and use them for his enjoyment, for his entertainment, or to, to, to create a scenario where angels have to rush in in order to, to rescue him. He will actually build a church. He will be the head of the church. He will speak through the church. He will lead souls to heaven through the church. Yes, there will be people like Simon Barjona who will deny him. He will still use them. There will be others who pretend to be part of him who will be expelled. But the reality of the church is not to be doubted. Then the evil one promises quite a bargain. He takes them to a great mountain, shows them all the, all the kingdoms of the world and all, and all their glory and says, I will give all of this to you if you fall and adore me. What is the offer? The, the false offer of a truce. There, there is no truce. There, there is no peace to be, to be gained, to be negotiated with the evil one. He only wants our destruction. There, there is no peace between this kingdom and that kingdom. There is no peace between worldliness and godliness. There will never be peace between the church, between the body of Christ, and the evil one, and his minions. There will never be peace. There will always be war. Whether it be in our own interior life where we try to make a truce and say, don't sanctify me because I don't want to suffer. All of us have thought that. If we haven't yet, we probably will at some point. If we haven't yet and never will, then maybe you're an angel. I think anyone who has embarked on the interior life to one degree or another, who has, who has read the lives of the saints and seeing how much they suffer, as at some point, even just for a split second, we have all said, oh, I don't want that. Please, Lord, make me, can you find a way to put me in the state of grace, but actually not make me so holy that the devil wants to do harm to me? If you've never had that thought in your head, then don't. It, it's, it's, it's an inevitable temptation to be a fallen human being who still wants to go to God, but doesn't, doesn't want to suffer. Of course we don't want to suffer. We're, we're also afraid of being put in a situation where we might fail, where we might let go of God. The popes have written about this. It's, it's, uh, when, when, it, when you first realize that that's what your soul is thinking, 
It is horrible until you realize, oh, other people have thought this too. In fact, anyone who's taken a step towards God deliberately um, is bound to visit this thought for a brief time or for a long time, one or the other. Make no mistake, there is no peace. There is no truce. None can be had. And a last thought. Our Lord is beginning his public ministry. He's manifested himself to John the Baptist in the Jordan. He's about to perform his first miracle at the wedding feast at Cana. How does he begin his public ministry? By 40 days of prayer and fasting, 40 days of penance. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is God, the Son. He is the one through whom the whole world exists. He ought to be lavished with with glory and fame, with with riches, with servants, with uh, the best food that the world has to offer, the best wine that can be can be made. He is the king of the universe. And what does he do voluntarily? Not for himself, but for you and for me. He goes into the desert to do penance, to fast, to afflict his body, to pray, to do what we ought to be doing. He prays for us. He prays on our behalf with, with greater love and sorrow than we ever have for ourselves. He willingly takes our sins upon himself already. And how profound a mystery it is that he, he continues to be one of us. He continues to allow us to pray in the first person plural with him. He, he prays on our behalf. He, he leads us in, in this worship of God the Father. He continues in his humility to intercede for us. He still deserves to be worshipped and honored and glorified and, and, and the world hasn't because um, the world won't. If we belong to God in heaven, if we do not belong to the world, we will begin to give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. In the meantime, he still continues to pray for us through the church, mystically through the sacred liturgy, It's worth acknowledging this is the life of the monastery. Maximum penance. For a monastic community, the maximum penance that they all can do collectively, without exception. Individually, hermits, whether it be a 
St. Oswald of Worcester or St. Peter Damien of Fonte Avellana, they can do even more severe penance as individual monastics. But they're not doing all that penance just for themselves. They're doing, they're doing penance for you and for me. So I encourage you in your, in your brief pause from the severity of your Lenten penance, only four days old now, as you resume the severity of it tomorrow, to, to pray for others, uh, to be willing to do penance for others, to be willing to atone for others. The Holy Father begins his annual retreat in the next few hours. Uh, it's worth praying for him uh, and doing penance for him. The Lord makes promises um, for each of us. Um, the gates prevailing, the, the, the gates of hell not prevailing against the church is a promise of universal significance to all of us and of, and of personal importance to Pope Francis. So we pray that not only the church prevail, but in fact, every soul be saved as well. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.